Well, good morning. So uh, we're in a series called Signs of Greatness. Signs of Greatness. And, and as we're walking through this series, we're just asking, Lord, shape us, change us, teach us, show us what you'd have us to know. We're going through the Gospel of John. And actually, John writes in chapter 20, Hey, these signs I've written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This book is written that we might believe. And and so what we're walking through is the seven miracles. We're doing it over seven weeks. And we're just saying, Lord, show me what I need to believe. Open my heart up. Like, where am I at in my weaknesses and and what I need to get rid of? And, And Lord, maybe I don't believe in you at all. And it's time for me to start believing. And and maybe I'm already totally getting who you are and I'm running after you. But Lord, shape me all the more. Lord, help us as we move through these miracles to believe. That's what we're doing here, all right? That's our purpose as we walk through it. Today we're talking about he has the power to provide. All right, so let's just review a little bit. So we go back to the first sign that we talked about, the water and the wine. And we see God as a transforming God, a God who takes what is and makes it better. That's who our God is. And and it was the first sign that John recorded saying, let me introduce to you the unbelievable ministry of God Almighty. He will be a transforming God. Amen? That was the first miracle. Second, our God heals. This is the official Working uh, with uh, Jesus Christ, coming and saying, hey, my son, he's sick and I need help and please heal him. And, and as the official son is being healed by God Almighty, Jesus is displaying not only his power over this world, not only his ability to speak into this world, but his power beyond proximity. It's not just right nearby and then it matters. It's wherever you are, God and his will can speak into your life. The third sign was... Our God restores. Our God restores. And we saw Jesus just outside of the sheep's gate. We saw him as the Lamb of God outside of the sheep's gate, right? And we remember who went through the sheep's gate. It was sheep on their way to a sacrifice, to be sacrificed for sin. And this was a statement about Jesus Christ as our almighty sacrifice. And right there at the sheep's gate to get it all going... He speaks over a man who has long-term physical um, deformity going on. We're not even sure how it all came about. And bam, like right there, the permanent problem is permanently removed. Our God restores. He was starting to show a ministry of reconciliation and restoration that spoke of him being the Lamb of God doing that for us. Those were the first three signs, and today we're diving into he has the power to provide. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1. We've got the ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. I almost said, and God will get one to you. I guess, I guess he'll do that through the ushers. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, all right? So remember, we're going through narrative here. And so we want to make sure we grasp what's going on. And uh, so in the narrative, we're going to break this down into two sections. One is the story that's like, hey, what's happening with the people and the places and the event and the thinking and the feelings and what's going on in the story and what can we learn from it? But then the second part we're going to go through is the sign. So what does this say about his ministry? Remember, these are more than just wow moments. These are more than just little magic tricks on the street that Jesus is doing. These are signs, signs of his power and signs of his ministry. So let's make sure we grasp what that is as well. All right. So here we go. The story. Let's get the details. The story. So 1A here. And trust your problems as the canvas on which Jesus will paint a masterpiece. And trust your problems as the canvas on which Jesus will paint a masterpiece. Let's just start in John chapter 6, verse 1, and see where we get that, all right? It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. It says, After this, right? Every time we start one of these narratives, you always hear me saying this. Let's make sure we understand the context we're talking in. And, and so when it says after this, it's connecting to the prior story. And so what, what after what, what are we talking about? Well, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he was letting them know that they actually needed to believe in him. He was informing them 
that they were making a mistake by not following who he was and grasping who he was. In fact, he did one step further than that. He said, you need to understand something. You follow the law. Like you're following Moses. And I get that. Moses, a great prophet. Newsflash. You need to be considering that Moses holds you condemned. How's that? Well, because you're trying to sit under the law, and we all find ourselves falling short under the law, and and by Moses' very words, and by the law itself, condemned. We have no relationship with Jesus Christ through the law. It's not about works. It's not about doing. It's not about earning. It's about his shed blood on the cross for us. And, And so the challenge Jesus was giving them was, time to shake up that law thought, boys. Time to put that down. In fact, Moses needs to be more on your mind than ever before. Okay, just keep that in mind for a second because it's going to come in big time in this next moment here. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You know, we always need breaks, don't we? Hello? (laughs) Do we not? I mean, my word. It's amazing, isn't it? We get way exhausted as we do the ministries of life, as we just do the stuff of life. It's easy for us to simply say, I got to keep driving. I got to keep pushing. And, And all of a sudden, we're exhausted. We're almost doing no good anymore because of our fatigue. And Jesus was in one of those moments where he was... In fully God and fully man, the man part was exhausted, needed a break time, and he was looking to get away. All right, so Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's walking around a giant lake, right? And a large crowd was following him. Great. That's always good for a break, isn't it? Yeah. Nothing like having the large crowd following. Why were they following him? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They saw what he was doing. And we're going to see in just a minute here that it's been quite a while since Jesus had been out doing miracles. And so the word is out. Jesus is speaking and people who are sick are healed. Lame are walking. Blind are seeing. Miracles all over the place. The word is ripping. This guy's got something going on. We need to get near him. Now, it doesn't actually say that they're believing him, but they certainly know there's going to be a good show. Do you know what I'm saying? That's a lot of what's going on here. And we have to be really careful as to what our following of Jesus is really all about. This large crowd, well, all we know is they're there because they know some signs are coming out and they want to see him. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Took a little hike, went up into the mountains and sat down with the disciples and said, hey guys, let's do a little processing here. Like, what have you been seeing? And, and, and what are you thinking of all this? And just began to have a little staff meeting. You know what I'm saying? And, and as they're working things out together and as they're taking time to just relax and pray and, and even do a little bit of laughing together, probably some sleeping and resting, as that's their game plan up on the side of the mountain, it says, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Why does he throw that in here? Well, because it's going to explain the next sentence very well, okay? The Passover is a monumental feast for the Jews, and they gather in Jerusalem from all over the place to celebrate God's amazing deliverance out of Egypt. Israel and salvation. Israel and salvation. Like, that's what this celebration is all about. Oh, and by the way, since I've now traveled the better part of days upon days to get to Jerusalem, and I hear this miracle-working guy named Jesus is nearby, maybe we should go over there and catch up with him. And so it's the Passover. That means it's probably been somewhere between six months and a year since chapter 5, verse 1. In this one chapter, probably six months to a year has passed, because That's talking about a feast as well. And so we don't know which feast they are. If it was um, two feasts that are closer together, it'd be six months. Otherwise, it'd be a year apart. Quite a bit of time passing by. A lot of miracles going on. Okay? It says, lifting up his eyes. This is Jesus. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him. Jesus turns to Philip and says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Okay, to catch the humor in all of this, we actually need to read the next couple of verses here. So Philip has an answer back to him. We'll just jump ahead uh, into verse 8. It says that um, Andrew also has some play. Then there's a boy who provides some things. We find out below there's 5,000 people in verse 10. 5,000 men. 
Okay, and Matthew actually tells us not just 5,000 men, but there's women and children with. So now we're looking at the better part of somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people. Okay, when we say the words large crowd, did you picture 20,000 people? Walking, hiking up on the mountain. Can you imagine what that even looked like? I mean, I don't know how wide the trail was, but I'm gathering not that wide. You know what I'm saying? And so 20,000 people, and you're talking a few people wide, and how long did that stretch out? And that's what Jesus sees when he looks up, all right? So it says that Jesus looks up, looks over at Philip, and says, Hey, Philip, got any bread for all these people? Like, I think it's time for a store run. Where do you think we can go to feed these guys? All right. Now, I'm not sure what's going on in Philip's head. Apparently, Jesus had that face that said, seriously? You know what I mean? Because honestly, wouldn't the question be, yeah, right, 20,000? Like, are you serious? You think I'm going to feed 20,000 people ever? Like, wouldn't you think you'd be able to respond with a little bit of humor to the thing? Philip's response, uh, well, that would take 200 denarii. Mr. Tactician, right? Like, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these guys? Um, Jesus, that's like 10 months of wages. Are you kidding me? 10 months of wages to do that. Now, how is that even possible? Nothing like correcting Jesus, right? That'll always put you in a good spot. Let me figure out what Jesus is trying to do. I'm going to teach him what he needs to know. He apparently doesn't understand mathematics. So I'm going to help him a little bit with his math and his money skills now. Jesus, probably 10 months of work. Okay, what's Jesus doing it for? It says right before that, uh, well, Jesus is doing this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Jesus is trying to take Philip and stretch his faith. It's faith stretch time, okay? This is a time where he's saying, look, you're too much in the physical. It's time for you to start seeing the spiritual. Uh, Philip, I need to see bigger in you than this. You've got more in you, man. It's time to start seeing beyond your physical eyes. Let's watch this thing work. Test. Well, that's an interesting word, isn't it? I've got to tell you, all too often we confuse this word. Uh, it means to grow or to stretch, to challenge. God right here with us as we walk through it to test us. And, and all too often we end up coming up with a description of our own test. And we really we start mixing it up with consequence. There's a big difference. Did you know that? Like testing. Versus consequence. What is the difference? Let's put it this way. A consequence. A consequence is a tough situation that results because of my own sin. Consequence. Like I am where I am because I was a ding-dong. I went after my own stuff. I went after my own way. I did my own thing and, and it didn't turn out that well. And Consequences, And all too often we sit in the midst of our consequences and we're like, wow, God's really got me under a test. No, bro, <laughs> you've got yourself under a little bit of a consequence. Be careful. You've put yourself there. Let's watch out. A test. Well, what's the difference? A test, it's a tough situation. That's the same thing we said for a consequence, right? Which is why they're easy to confuse. But a test is God's placed us there, not of our own doing. Clearly just his hand putting me there. A test versus a consequence. And it's easy to get confused on the two, and we need to make sure we've really got it down. So let's just work this out together. You ready? I need everybody to be answering out loud. Tell me whether this is a test or a consequence. Are you ready? I was called down to the principal's office. I was busted cheating. God is testing me. Is that test or consequence? consequence good i was called down to the principal's office my friend was cheating and they misunderstood and they thought it was me and i didn't do anything and i'm in the principal's office test or consequence test right okay we're getting it here's another one um god has been growing me in amazing ways it's been just stunning, the, 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 rec- the recognition I've been having of sin and wrong and right and where I need to add with things. And these have been a hard few months of testing in prison because I stole a car. God is testing me. Is that test or consequence? Okay, good. So we're getting it, right? A tornado hit my house. A test or a consequence? Test. Unless you saw the tornado coming and you built your house in front of it then it's a consequence, right? 
So yeah, let's make sure we understand what God's doing in our lives and, and what maybe we're actually doing of our own mistakes. Okay, test versus consequence. This was a test. This was a moment where Jesus is working with Philip. Philip didn't call 20,000 people. Hey, you guys got to come up on the mountain and check it out. You'll barely be able to fit and it'll be awesome. And then I'll be asked to feed you. Great. Like, that's not what happened. Philip didn't invite these guys up, right? This is something that happened and Jesus is saying stretch time. Okay? And so this is a test. A little bit more we need to understand about a test, though. You know what? This is the kind of test. Often when we think of tests, we think of school, right? And, and then you get the willies. And you're like, oh, I hate tests. It's not that kind of test, though. It's not the kind of test where you have to study ahead of time. And, and the teacher's trying to find out what's inside of you alone. And you have to deliver alone. And at the end, they take it. And then they get a big, fat red marker. And they show you what you got and what you missed, right? That's not the kind of test. We're talking like open book, open note, prof standing next to you. Anytime you have a question, ask him whatever you want. He'll help you to get the point, that kind of test. Well, that should be easy to pass. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? But when it tests our soul, there's a part of us that needs to decide, are we willing to lean back on Christ? Are we willing to respond to him and, and work with him? This is the kind of test where he's right here with us walking through it with us that's what god means when he says he's testing us he's stretching us with his arm around us the whole time okay philip was in a test okay philip he's maybe one of those glass half full kind of guys he may not even have a glass do you know what i'm saying he might be one of those kind of guys like nothing is good okay like we're kind of sitting in that spot his answer is Seriously, 10 months of wages won't even get it done, Jesus. Think again. Like, that's all he's got is an answer, right? Okay, so you got to love it. You give your answer. You're being very, very frank. And then the guy next to you steps up. Andrew, Andrew, his glass is definitely half full, maybe a little bit more. He's being obedient. We actually see in Matthew, in this story being explained here, that the disciples were asked to go out and see what else people might have. Go amongst the 20,000 and find what food is out there, okay? And, and I can't imagine that task. Just imagine going out and trying to find food amongst the 20,000 and asking them to give it up. Right? You need to give me your food because I'm going to try to feed all these people. Right? I don't know how that works. But they went out and they asked that. Andrew comes back faithfully, did what he was asked. And he said, hey, good news. There was a boy who has uh, five barley loaves and, and two fish. I'm not sure those are enough. But I at least got that. So barley loaves, just to understand, that's like kind of the nastiest bread that would be had, right? That would be bread for the poor. They made it was really rough and tough, and, and they were smaller loaves, okay? And two little fish that, now you don't carry around fresh fish in that area, right? So it's pickled fish, probably, can't even imagine. So, mmm, barley loaves and pickled fish, and, and they're little boys, right? So how much did he pack? So he's put just enough in there for him, and he's like, well, you can have my five barley loaves and two fish. And Andrew's like, done! And he takes the kid's food, and he, right? And he walks back to Jesus, and he goes, all right, I see the people. Here you go. This is what I've got, right? And, and so that's, that's where we're starting with, okay? It's five barley loaves and two fishes. Hey, when God calls you to entrust your problems to him, he means entrust the problem to him. Uh, Philip is trying to correct Jesus and say this problem isn't even correct. We shouldn't have to do anything about it. Andrew is saying, all right, I'll embrace the problem. I'll work with you. This is what I found. I'm not sure it's enough, though. I don't get the plan. Okay? And so both of them wrestling with seeing Jesus at work here. Kind of amazing, right? He's done all these healings and miracles. I'm just stunned that one of them didn't say at some point, Jesus, can you, like, do something? Where you just kind of go, poof, and, like, something? Can we, or do you seriously want me to go get food from a little boy? Like, I'm surprised that wasn't said, but they did what they were told, okay? Notice it says, um, there's a boy who had the five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, I'm just telling you that feeding these people was a monumental task, I personally would have been petrified to get 20,000 people to sit down. Can you imagine that task? 20,000 people and you're like, you want me to get them all to sit down? Yeah. The 12 of us. Yeah. Okay, here we go. And now you're walking around people. Sit down. 
Everybody sit down. Can you sit down, please? And like these nine sit down and then these two more stand up. No, stay sitting. Everybody sit down, right? And you start passing the word. Everybody needs to sit down, right? And you start getting these groups of fifties and hundreds. That's what Matthew says. They broke it into groups and they're getting them all to sit down. I mean, divide 20,000 by groups of a hundred. You got hundreds of groups of fifties to hundreds. That's a lot to manage. You get back to Jesus and you're like, all right, they're sitting. Right? Like, that's enough. Have I not performed enough today? That's huge miracle right there. You're awesome, Jesus. 20,000 people sitting. Here's what I love. Jesus says, have the people sit down. John, uh, just being a little bit frank and a little bit direct, says, now there was much grass in the place. Just trying to be a little bit detailed for you, help you understand. If we're going to get 20,000 people to sit down, I'm telling you there was a lot of turf. You know what I mean? Like, I did a little quick calculation this week, and like, if every person takes up a four by four, and there's like 15 to 20,000 people, and blah, 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 and you're talking like somewhere between six and eight acres of grass, probably, that's on the middle of a mountainside. This is like a pretty wide meadow kind of thing, all of a sudden, that's sitting there. And John's like, it was kind of cool, because when Jesus asked us to have him sit down, well, at least we had a lot of grass, right? That's John's viewpoint here, just to let you know a little bit of what's going on. So there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And remember, the women and children with them, that makes probably between fifteen and 20,000 people. An amazing miracle is about ready to take place. Jesus has set them up. He's given them their expectations on what to look for. And he's asked them to work together on it. Time to let God work. Hey, have you ever been in that position in your life where... It's time for a miracle. And you're looking for God to do something, and you're not sure what it's going to look like, and he needs to set some things up, and Lord, what do you need to have done? And, well, how do I come before God and have him give me guidance like this? And so I was looking this week for what it means to be looking for the will of God in your life, what it means to have God literally provide. And, uh, you know, I looked at George Mueller's life, uh, just a fantastic man of God. Uh, in the last couple centuries, could be one of the greatest prayers uh, of the last couple centuries. Um, he personally had a conviction that God was calling him personally. Notice how much I'm emphasizing this. He's not saying this was for everyone, but him personally. He believed that his role was to show the reality of God existing by never asking for any need to be filled. Just pray for it. And then he launched like orphanages and feeding ministries. And I will tell no one of any need. We will just pray and God will provide. And for decades, food came at just the right time of a day. They would get everybody seated at tables waiting with forks in hand going, we have nothing to give. And somebody would knock on the door and say, I brought you turkeys. And they would cut up the food for him and everybody would eat. Like, this is George Mueller's life. Let's display God through prayer. And somebody asked him, so what's it look like to pray for the will of God and follow him? George Mueller's answer. You ready? Here we go. He gave it in four parts. So I'll give a summary after it because he writes in Old English. All right. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Number one is just purpose. Your glory, your will. Your glory, your will. That's all he was saying. Lord, not my will. Like, I just want to be done with it. I want my heart to be in such a state that I have no will. Your will on this, God. The second part of George Mueller's prayer. Having done this, I do not leave the result to feelings or simple impressions. If so, I make myself liable to great delusion. When you listen to your own feelings, you can really get misled, right? So number two is just purity. No feelings-based decisions. Don't just sit there going, "Mm, how do I feel about this? Gut feel time for me now. I'm telling you, you will start going wherever you want to go. Boy, what does that mean for me? And what do I think about? And I feel most comfortable with. And be careful. Those are dangerous moments. No feelings-based decisions, all right? So your glory, your will. No feelings-based decisions. Purpose and purity. Number three here, he says, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The spirit and the word must be combined or I open myself to great delusion again. Number three is just principle. The spirit and the word together. Hey, what's the Bible say? And what's the Holy Spirit stirring in me? 
And may the two come together and show me exactly what principle I need to be going by. Okay? As we look for God leading us, as we look for God to move a miracle in our lives, as we look for problems to be resolved as we entrust him, let's storm the throne of grace with these steps. Purpose, your glory, your will. Purity, no feelings-based decisions. And number three principle, the spirit tied to the word. Here's his fourth step. Next, I take into account providential circumstances. These plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and spirit. Providential circumstances. That's like just what's going on around you. Open doors and closed doors. Okay. So number four is proof. Look for circumstances to align. When you get the circumstances aligning with the word of God, aligning with the spirit of God stirring, you've set your will aside and said, whatever you want, Lord, I'm willing to go there. You will be stunned at how often God leads so clearly. Amen. That's what it looks like. So question, what are the problems you're struggling with or the decisions you're struggling with? Uh, Maybe it's as simple as, what classes am I going to take next year? Uh, Should I take that difficult class or should I take a lighter class? Which one should I go after? Or what school am I going to go to? Or, Or should I be marrying this person? Or maybe, should I take this job? Should I quit this job? Uh, what's going on in my family right now and how should I be raising them in a way that honors God and Lord what would you have us to be doing in this church community and in the wider community for your glory and or maybe it's just coming down to I've got some deep hurts going on some pain and struggle and things not going the way I'd want and Lord what would you have me do that you might get the greater glory and your hand might be shown here four steps purpose Your glory, Lord, your will. Purity, not my feelings. I'm going to set those aside. Principle, your Holy Spirit and your word. And last one is proof. Let the circumstances show you where God's leading. Which of those have you been blowing off? Which one do you need to pick up most readily? Oftentimes it can be, well, I'm not really going to the word. I'm not really sure where to go. I pick it up and there's a lot of pages and a lot of words and I don't know how to look things up. Hey, I'm telling you, there's some great ways to look things up, whether you get on the internet and just type some keywords and, and let it sh- search on BibleGateway.com or, or maybe you call a pastor or a friend or a small group leader and just say, hey, I, I got some struggles and what do you think of and what are some topical passages that can help me here and look for God's guidance and apply it to your life, all right? If we're going to entrust him, that's what it looks like. If we're going to let him truly take the problem, that's how it goes. All right? So that's the first step. Second step. Bring what you have and what you are. Watch Jesus do the rest. Bring what you have and what you are. Watch Jesus do the rest. All right. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, I love that little comment. Jesus has five loaves of bread and two fish. And he looks up and around and he says, Father, thank you for what you provided. May your hand be mightily shown now. Like, may we always be giving thanks for what God's doing in our life. As small as it may seem in the moment, you might be stunned what's coming on the backside of that. Thank him always. He's standing there with what would feed a little boy. And he has 20,000 people. Thank you, Lord, for what you provided. Now let's watch God work. All right? He says, after he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Now you could read this in two ways, right? One is, he distributed those to all the 20,000. If you want to be facetious, you might read it and go, he distributed those to everybody who listened and sat down. It says, to those who were seated. Are you sitting? No, no food for you. Right? I, I don't think he's the bread Nazi. I think I think what's really going on here is truly he's having the 20,000 seated and he's like, it's time to feed the masses of family and let's take care of them, okay? And, and so Jesus distributes. We see in Matthew actually does this through the disciples. He hands out bucket loads of bread to these disciples and they're running around handing it out. I can only imagine what it looked like as the disciples are standing there and Jesus takes the bread and then prays over it and Philip's like, oh, 
This is ridiculous, you know? And Jesus tears the bread and throws it into the first basket, right? And just so you know, a lot of times these disciples would carry baskets that would kind of fit under their arm, kind of like this size, like right in here. And they would fill that with food or whatever just to carry. And so we would probably fill in those kinds of baskets up, all right? And so he takes bread and he throws it in. And the first, you know, you see the first one go in and you're like, yeah, that'll last like five seconds. How long till those pieces of bread are gone, right? And then he tears again and again. And all of a sudden the basket's like half full and the loaf is still full. And now you're starting to stare at his hands. Like, how is he doing such a thing? And as you tear, you literally see the bread tear away and come back to the full. Tear away and come back to full. That's what they're seeing going on. Can you imagine the laughter that starts up? Oh, he didn't want us to go to a store at all. He totally had this thing under control. And now you're watching him tear this and throw it and tear it and throw it and fill these things up and say, go spread them out. And now they're running around and as they're pouring it out, it's like, you wouldn't believe where this came from, man. We're talking five loaves, two fish, still five loaves, two fish up there. Bam, whole thing full. Check this out. And they're like pouring it out and everybody's having a party. And it's like, just spread out. Enjoy. And people are having a nice little picnic in six to ten acres of grass up in the mountains. All because Jesus has provided bread from almost nothing. And as they're celebrating and laughing and enjoying, they're getting a deep picture of Christ's ability. It says, when they had eaten their fill, does God provide or what? Amen. When they'd eaten their fill from five loaves and two fish, 20,000 people filled to the max. When they'd eaten their fill, he ends up seeing them with a lot more left over. He says, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Are you kidding me? There's leftovers too? Like these guys are eating so much they're spilling and it's falling next to them in the grass and they're like, pick up the extra bread, man, and and take these loaves and, and they're bringing back basketfuls. It says 12, probably one per disciple, right? Let each guy get his faith rocked. You know what I'm talking about? Like you come back, you had five loaves when you started, and each of you comes back with basketfuls, and 20,000 people are full. God has provided bread for his people. Amen? Like that's what we're seeing. He says, gather them up. It says, so they did gather up. They had filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet. Notice the definite article, the It's not a prophet. It is the prophet. What are they talking about? Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Moses said, there will be a prophet that comes after me. He will be like me. He will come from your people, and he will lead this nation. And they have been waiting for that prophet for centuries. A long time they've been waiting. Everybody say, long time. Long time. How long? Well, when John the Baptist came along, they're like, are you the prophet? Like, they're asking everybody, anybody that seems to raise up, are you the prophet? Are you the guy? Are you the one? How about you? And how about you? And so now they're seeing this sign. Well, what's the sign? Well, tell me, do you remember a story about Moses in the wilderness with some bread? Do you remember that story? So this is Moses in the wilderness. The Israelites get out there, and they're like, great, we've escaped from Egypt. And now we're going to starve to death. Nice plan, leader man. Right? So they're kind of rebelling against Moses. And so Moses kind of goes to God and goes, what exactly is the plan for food? And God says, I've got it. It's covered. And underneath Moses' leadership, God provides bread and quail. And he's got food for these guys, right? And and this bread that he ends up providing, right? They get up in the morning and the bread's all over the place. and, and, And it's on the ground, like dew almost. And they reach down and they can pick it up and eat it. And this bread was called... Manna. Manna. And what does manna mean in Hebrew? What is it? Did you know that? That's what it means. So they came out of the tent and they're like, what is it? Right? That's how it all started. It was a big famous start. And I can't imagine the first guy that went, let's try and eat it. I'm not sure who that guy was. but So he reaches down, picks up the bread and puts it in his mouth first. And he's like, it's awesome. And then the word rips through the whole camp. It's bread. Eat it. Everybody call it that from now on. So every day, get up and get your what is it, right? And, and let's be cared for. And so that's what they called it from then on. The what is it? I thought that was humorous. I'm glad they never changed the name. Gives us a little insight to their willingness to admit that they were clueless, right? And uh, so, yeah, Moses providing the what is it in the wilderness through God's power. And, and now Jesus Christ providing bread in the wilderness, 
to 20,000 people in a miracle. And they have clearly seen him now as the prophet. And it says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They were pretty rallied up on the fact that he was a physical king. Like, this guy needs to take over. We're done with Rome. We're going to lead. Let's get this guy in charge. He could perceive that there was a physical kingship going to be demanded. And that's not what he was there for. It's not my time. Oh, oh, trust me. Physical king's coming. He is going to come in riding on a white horse. He will take over the universe. Our king will reign for eternity physically and spiritually. Amen? Amen. We serve a God who will be physical king. Just not yet. Hang on. He's got a plan to work with the spiritual in between. And he said, not now. He backs off. I've got a job to do. I've got a a provision to make. I must provide at the cross of Calvary. It is not time for me to reign. It is time for me to sacrifice. That's what's coming next. And Jesus withdraws. What an amazing God we have with an amazing love for us. Amen. You know, I'm, uh, all right, I'm going to gear shift. So I wasn't going to share this in the story. But now I'm going to. So yesterday, um, my wife and I um, had to go to a funeral. And I was up north, uh, some friends from a small group that we were a part of back in the 90s. And uh, hey, small groups are an awesome place to be. Just say awesome place to be. I'm telling you, get into one of our impact groups. You build life that lasts for a long picking time together. And these were great friends from the 90s that we did life with. And... uh, their 17-year-old son uh, committed suicide on Wednesday. And uh, devastating. Devastating to them, devastating to a lot of us. Uh, he struggled a lot. He wrestled a lot over the years. Um, did uh, demonstrate a faith in Christ, but just always wrestling a little bit. And uh, made a bad decision. Made a very bad decision in that moment. And left the family hurting, left a ton of people reeling. Uh, there were about a 1,000 people plus at this funeral. And uh, John was asked to sing at it, uh, so she sang uh, a couple different songs there. The dad got up to share. The dad got up to share. I'm telling you, when he stood up, I was shocked. And uh, Tom, love him to death, um, when he got up, he basically just said a few words that uh, I didn't write them down exactly, but effectively goes like this. I stand before you a broken Man, broken. We tried everything we could do and, and um, we're saddened at the loss of our son. And he had some very eloquent phrases after it. He kind of closed it with this statement. A message to my son, Austin. Austin. You are my son. Nothing will ever change that. You are my son, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, and I will love you forever. And I miss you. You're my son. Austin, I want to see you. And I miss you. I want to touch you and be with you. I want you to know you're loved. And you're missed. And here's one thing I'm holding on to with all I've got. When I get home to heaven and see my almighty Savior, I also get to see my son. And what an amazing time it's going to be as you live in perfection and joy. I'm telling you, that moment was so painful to watch him struggle with. And as he stepped down and John actually had to sing next, which did a phenomenal job singing after that. And the senior pastor then got up to speak. As he began to share about Christ, he tied it back, and I love the tie, and this was it. Our God loves us with all we have. And he simply says this, Trust in me. Believe in who I am and my shed blood on the cross. And know this. You are my son. 
my daughter. You are my child. And there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from my love. Romans chapter 8. There is nothing that separates us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen? We have a God who provides. Amen? He provides not just in some simple, small stuff like a physical meal. He provides in eternal life. He provides in His shed blood on the cross for all of eternity. That's our God providing. Amen? Hey, when we see Him work, we get to point and say, That's my God. There he is, the one who reigns eternal, the forever king of the universe, my Jesus Christ. And we are his child, a new creation. We are in him being made new all the time. That's the joy of the walk with Christ. Here's my pleading with you, my pleading with you. Look, as we talk about coming to Christ as we talk about entrusting to Christ, as we talk about believing in him and leaning on him, and please know this, it's not dependent upon your perfection. He's got that covered. It's not dependent upon your sacrifice. He's got that covered. It's not dependent upon anything at any time that you give or bring to the table other than, Lord, I'm here with you. And I'm believing in you. May your shed blood wash over me. May you clothe me with your righteousness. All these things that happen after I'm using and trusting in you as my Savior. Nothing but the blood of Christ. Amen? Man, may we grasp that. And I'm telling you as I look at this body, I know there are people hurting. And my prayer and my pleading with you is this. See the provision of your God. See his hands, see his feet, see his shed blood for your life. That the almighty king might reign in your life and shape everything different from here on forward. That's what it looks like to lean on him. I'm telling you at the end of that service, they called for people to trust in him and put their faith in Jesus Christ and and then to stand up and And there were a good dozen that stood up at first. And by the end of it, there were probably a hundred standing of people who said, I want to claim a better walk with Christ and go with him. And my prayer, my pleading this morning, this, I had, this was not in there at all this week. Okay. This came last night at midnight as I'm revealing what's going, reviewing what's going on yesterday. And I'm telling you, we need to not have some simple little trite statement like trust. And then we go on and we live life devastated. May we never see God's provision in light of our smallness. May we see God's provision in light of his bigness, his greatness, and his grandeur. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Hey, the sign of greatness here, I'm just going to cut to the chase, okay? The extent of his power, anything, anywhere, anytime. That's our God. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Just say it with me. Anything, anywhere, anytime, that's my God, the extent of his power. And bigger than that, the the purpose of his ministry, this was the revealing of him as the second Moses, as the God with a solution for all of eternity. Lord, may that just rock my world today, right here, right now, for all eternity. He He reigns forever. That's our king. Amen? Man, may we lean on that and live that with everything we've got. And where you wrestle to come to him, come to him with that four-step prayer. Not my will, your will be done, Lord. Absolutely not about my feelings. I'm listening to what you want done. Lord, may I get your biblical principles. May I feel your spirit moving. May I see the circumstances. I'm ready to run with you with all I've got. You are my God. That's where we need to be. Please hear me on this. If you are wrestling in any way and you need to talk, man, we want to talk. 
Let's sit down and talk together as a pastoral staff. We've got a great staff, a great group of elders. Let's sit down and pray together. Let's work through things together and let's see God rock your world. Amen. Our God provides. Our God provides. So since I've completely changed around the the worship sequence here, Larry, I'm just going to ask the worship team to come on up. And if you could just give us kind of a, give us some soft music underlay here, throwing a curveball. And let's just take some time here together, all right? Let's just pray to our almighty God, the one who provides. Whatever you need to do to do business with him right now. I mean, whatever. It's time to get it clear with our mighty providing God. So let's just take a moment here. Let me just lead in prayer here. Father God, Lord, Lord, we celebrate you and we worship you. You are king. You are in charge. You reign. You rule. Lord, we know what your scripture says, that you are the Messiah, the Lamb of God, that you are here for us. Lord, I just pray right now that that could become so real. Just take a moment right now to appreciate who he is in your life. Thank him as your providing God. Thank him for his work on the cross. We just thank him for who he is. Now let's exhale a little bit. Lord, what do I need to let go of before you? That you would be my God. Whatever it is, please forgive me, Lord. I'm letting this go. I don't even know what this Jesus thing is all about. I barely get what you're talking about. Let me just explain real quickly where we're at and what it means to believe in him. Jesus Christ is God Almighty come in the flesh. It tells us in scripture that we clearly have gone astray. We've done our own thing. We've walked away. It's been about us, not about him. And we're stealing his glory. It leaves us in one spot. There is nothing we can do to come before him as our king and our savior except to fall on our knees with a pleading. To be forgiven of our sin, all we need to do is say, Lord, please forgive me. Use your shed blood to replace what I owe. I believe in you that you've risen from the dead. And I confess you as my Lord. You're in charge of my life. Thank you for your provision. That's all it takes to get it started with him as your God. So here's my request. If that's something you want to do, I'm just going to pray a prayer right now. Just follow after me if you want to establish. Look, scripture doesn't say pray a prayer. There's nothing magic about the prayer. This is just a great way to get it started. It's about believing that he's been raised from the dead, all power, and believing that he absolutely has paid the price at Calvary and confess him as your Lord pray this with me if you want to accept him as your savior dear father I know that I've come up short I know that I'm not perfect I'm done trying to earn it I'm amazed that it's not about my perfection it's about your perfection please forgive me your shed blood to replace what I owe. Thank you for the cross. I believe that you're alive. I believe that you are the God of the universe. And right now I'm making you my Lord. Take over. You are my king. I'm done with self. May you be lifted up in my life. 
your mighty name I pray. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed for a second. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, if you're committing yourself to him, really saying, Lord, I'm in. He's calling you now his child and nothing can separate you. He's saying that he has given you new life. He has made you a new creation. Absolutely nothing separates you. We're told this, the moment we believe in him, there is angels worshiping and celebrating in heaven as names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now is the time to commit. Don't let this day go. Make him your king, providing, restoring, and healing king. want to ask you this if you want us to pray for you if you want me to pray for you in any way right here and right now if you've made a commitment to Christ right here and right now take a first step raise your hand let me know that I can pray for you may I pray for you right where you are that God would move and stir and take you to that next level God's hands today for the first time. Just take that step out and say, Lord, it's done. No more battle. You're my king. Use your shed blood to replace what I owe. Anybody here who wants to make that commitment? moment to praise our God who reigns eternal. Amen. Let me just close in prayer here. Almighty God, we're in awe of your provision. We're in awe of your work at the cross. Lord, you shape hearts, you move lives, you challenge us and you stir us. I pray for each life here who is committed to you this morning. Lord, take them and move them and stir them. Lord, may this be a moment where they absolutely grasp your realness and your provision. Father, we pray that we could literally see you as all love, all hope, all mercy. You are our almighty God. And it is in your mighty name that we pray these things. Jesus Christ, your great name, may it be worshipped for all eternity. And may it start here and now. In your name I pray. Amen.